In that psalm, we reflect upon his coming again. And this morning, as we turn in God's word to Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about preparing for that return, for the return of the Son of Man, for his return. Imagine that scene. Jesus has been teaching his disciples not to live, not to live for earthly treasure, but to seek first the kingdom. And he continues on and encourages them to be ready for the return of the Son of Man, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks then, and continues to speak to prepare them to be always ready for his second coming. This morning we see that in Luke 12, verses 35 to 48, page 871 in the Bibles there in front of you, page 871. Jesus teaches a parable about waiting servants and then follows by using a parable about a faithful steward or a faithful servant. Let us hear the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. He comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given... Of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Dear people of God, the Bible is abundantly clear that Christ will return to earth. Now, on your Maybe you're visiting with us this morning and you say, well, this is an odd passage to pick for profession of faith. Well, it's the next passage in our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're working our way through the book of Luke, and we want to see what Jesus has to teach us in this passage, but also how it pertains to a good confession, living the good confession. 
Christ is going to return, and his timing is unpredictable. We don't know when he's going to return, and we need to always be ready. How should we live? That's the question I want us to think about this morning. How should we live? Jesus answers it for us. He says, in this way, be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. And waiting is not doing nothing. That's what we want to consider this morning from this passage. Waiting is not doing nothing. First off, waiting actively. Young people, before the days of cell phones, yes, I know, there was such a day. There were not ways of tracking people. There were not texts sent ahead of time to say, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes, or I'll be there in two minutes, or I'm running late. There was no Apple AirTag to keep track of people and things. In Jesus' day, important people maybe had messengers that went on ahead of them and announced their arrival if it was a big event. But on those smaller occasions, there was no way of knowing when the master would return. For example, when he goes off to a wedding feast, Jesus says, and he, he goes away, there's no, there's no clarity as to when he's going to return. And Jesus uses that as an example. And he says, therefore, the servants must be ready to welcome him home. Jesus says to the disciples, you must be like men waiting for their master, living in such a way that you're always ready. He says it this way, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, verse 35. Stay awake. The servant who stays awake is blessed, verse 37 and 38. Be ready to welcome him. The opening phrase in in the Greek is, let your loins be girded. Perhaps not something that we are all that familiar with today, but it speaks of readiness. In those days, the the robes were long, and if, if they were going to act or to move, they would tuck the edges of their robes into their belt so they'd be ready to move, active, ready to go. And that's the picture that Jesus gives here. He says, stay dressed for action. Have your loins girded that you might be active in service as you wait for the return of the Son of Man, for you know not that hour, verse 40 tells us. Jesus had reminded them, remember in our study of Luke's gospel, that they were called to love God and neighbor. That's what it meant to be living in a way that was actively waiting. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember what, that, the, what the law expert was asking? Well, what, who's my neighbor? What, do I, what are the parameters? What are the limits? Tell me. And, and Jesus changed the question and he said, the question is, are you acting as a neighbor? Are you seeing those in need and then acting as a neighbor, helping them, not setting parameters, but instead being sensitized to need and then responding accordingly? Jesus' word to his disciples and to us is that we are to be living out of our faith, loving as we have been loved while we wait for his return. He says, keep your lamps burning. Know what good is so you don't lose your bearings when darkness comes. As you wait for Christ's return, do not cease to look into the word which the psalmist tells us is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119, verse 105. Keep that light, that lamp, burning. Tying that in with what has just been said about the neighbor, ask yourself, what does it mean to be a neighbor? 
Maybe there are ways you can help a person in need. Another way of thinking of being a neighbor is to love enough to speak the truth. To do so with gentleness and respect, Peter says. To be always ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And doing that with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3. We were thinking about that question in our community group recently. The question was asked, what should I do when, when the company I work for supports something unbiblical and wants to include me in it? The answer is that we are to continue to speak the truth. Now, there's more to it, perhaps, but certainly we are to speak truth into the situation, reminding those around us of the light that God has given us that we might live in a way that is to his honor and glory and for our good. Speaking truth into the situation. The world wants to redefine terms and redefine things. It says the person who's truly caring, or we might say in biblical language, the person who's truly a neighbor is the one who tolerates whatever I want to do and endorses and celebrates whatever identity I might choose to take. Now that's using a good term, neighbor, and attaching an unhelpful, even sinful definition to it. Being a neighbor means showing people the right path, helping them see sin's destruction and its end, which is eternal condemnation. Satan wants the sinner to die alone. The neighbor of Jesus' parable, the Samaritan, is the one who sees the person who's left for dead. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's left for dead. The Samaritan comes and wants to bandage his wounds and pour oil and wine on them. True neighbors see the end of sin if a person is left without help and they want to help because we've all been there. We are all sinners in need of the bandaging of the word and of the refreshing soothing nature of the word as oil and wine upon our wounds. On that image of the burning lamp, we need the light of truth to burn brightly in our homes, in our schools, in our churches as we wait to welcome our master upon his return, for he expects us to be faithful stewards. We're waiting actively. Bernard, you've made profession of faith today. We're so thankful that God has worked in your life in this way. And this is another stage in that life of living the good confession. It's not the end. And we all recognize that, brothers and sisters, that as we live for the Lord, it isn't just a certain mile marker where we settle and say, I like it here, but we continue to press on, living actively as we wait for the return of the master. What was that question that was asked? Do you love the Lord and are you seeking to serve him? That's the question that we ask ourselves. You declare that you love the Lord, that it is your heartfelt desire to serve him according to his word, to forsake the world, to put to death your old nature and to lead a godly life. That's how we wait. 
That's how we wait with confidence that our master is going to return. We want to live in the the love of God with all the saints for the good of the world until Christ returns. And the commitment starts with those closest to us, but it doesn't end there. It extends to the need all around us. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the servants who are awake, those who are waiting actively. Verse 37, 38, those who are awake are pronounced blessed. They're attentive. Paul puts it another way. He says that this, to live is Christ, to proclaim Christ, to speak of what Christ has done and of how he can deliver and how he can free us. And of how he's coming again to usher us into that wondrous kingdom, to that place that he is preparing for us. Keep your lamps burning. Children, you know the song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Good reminder for not just the young kids, but the older ones in attendance today. Jesus pronounces blessing upon those who hear the word of their master and who do it. He pronounces blessing on those who are prepared for his return. I came across this this account, which I thought was so, so good. I want to read it. It's a story of a traveler who came upon a secluded estate on the shore of a lake in Switzerland, and he knocked at the gate, and an aged caretaker invited him in. The caretaker seemed delighted to see another human and eagerly escorted him through the well-tended grounds. A tourist asked, how long have you been here? 24 years was his reply. How often has your master returned? Four times. When was the last time? Oh, about 12 years ago. I'm almost always alone, he said. It's, a very, it's very seldom that even a stranger visits me. Well, the visitor was eager to commend him. He said, you have the garden in such perfect order and everything is flourishing as if you were expecting your master tomorrow. He said, no, sir. I have it fixed as if he were coming today. That's how we wait. As if he were coming today. And we were unashamed of how we were speaking and living. We wait perseveringly. There might be some overlap between these first two points, but I trust you'll forgive me for that. But we, we need to keep at it. There are times when we, we, we wane in our zeal. We kind of just, we, we get relaxed or we just, things are going well and, and we're, not, we're just not pressing forward as we ought. But we need to keep at it. It's a long obedience in the same direction as it's been said. No matter how the world redefines terms or turns from God. We don't turn from his word. We prayerfully and persistently press on. Many years ago, someone pointed out uh, something from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 that I never really seen before. And I don't know the last time you've read 1 Chronicles 12. Perhaps not that recently. It's a lot of names. It's a lot of lists. But there are the men who were with David helping him as he, as he was fleeing from Saul and protecting him. 
are listed. And I want, to li- I want to read this passage to you because I think it's helpful as we think about how we're waiting. To David came the men of Issachar. These were men who understood the times and knew what the people of God should do, First Chronicles 12, 32. Isn't that a great description? They understood the times and they knew what the people needed to do. Persevering in the truth, keeping it ever before us. I want that to describe every one of us here, myself included, that we understand the times and that we know what we need to do and keep at it. Perseveringly, like the the men of Issachar, don't grow weary in doing good for a harvest is coming, celebration is coming. We celebrate after professions of faith. We celebrate after events like this. But we celebrate that certainty of Christ's coming with our lives. Living joyfully, filled with hope as we persevere in the faith. Jesus says the faithful and wise person is the one the master finds doing what he called him to do before his departure. That's what we're called to do. Keep the faith. Paul says it to Timothy. We hear it in numerous places and numerous instances. Keep the faith. The fact that we are still waiting for Christ's return is no reason to be apathetic about the kingdom. The kingdom comes first. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus tells us. We want the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we've been studying prayer and the evening services. Peter learned from the Lord's teaching here. He was listening. In his epistle, First Peter, he urges his suffering readers to gird up the loins of your mind for action. There's that phrase again. He says it in First Peter 1.13. Gird up your loins, the loins of your mind for action. He urges readers to be ready for his return. And then he says in Second Peter chapter 3 that we don't know when he's going to return, but he tells us how we are to be living. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. In our waiting, we persevere in the truth. We continually rehearse the truth to the next generation. We tell it to our children. We tell it to our neighbors. From generation to generation, we live as holy and godly people. And as we do, Peter says, we hasten the day of God. We hasten the coming of the day of God. Well, that's a sermon in itself. Just to say this, our actions don't change God's plan, but they do matter, you see. They do matter. It matters that you persevere, that you press on. God has determined the day of his son's return. Matthew 24 tells us only he knows it, the Father. But Jesus does say that the end will not come until the gospel has been preached to the nations. We're to be busy today and every day, persevering as we wait. What about those who don't live faithful lives? Is there any big difference. Peter says, who are you telling this parable to, Lord? Is it for us or is it for everyone? 
verse 41. Jesus doesn't directly answer the question. William Hendrickson in his commentary says this, what Jesus seems to be saying is, what you should do is not ask these curious questions, but instead try very hard to be a faithful and sensible manager. goes on to tell about the faithful steward and the un- versus the unfaithful steward. The one who knows what he needs to do and doesn't do it will have to answer for what he has not done, his sins of omission, as well as what he has been doing. It will not go well for the one who knows what the master requires, but while the master is gone, doesn't live in obedience to his command. Oh, he's doing certain things, the Bible says. He's gluttonous. He's getting drunk. He's becoming abusive with his power. He will invite judgment upon himself for that. What do we make of these words? Well, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. But our faith... True saving faith will demonstrate itself in loving deeds and godly character. Godly character is something that we have when no one else is looking, but only the master sees. He sees. What is our character? How am I living? How am I waiting? People of God, there's a warning here to the one who confesses Christ but does not live a life of godly obedience, such living reveals that the person has another Lord in their life. Where there's apathy to the things of the kingdom, where there's a lack of concern for justice, a lack of self-control, a lack of love and mercy, this is very revealing and the master sees it. The day of reckoning will come when the person is least prepared, he says. Now that can mean one of two things, either the day of Christ's coming Or death comes upon that person who thinks, well, I'll get it all worked out before the end. It's okay. The punishment's severe for those who act unfaithfully. Is the master too severe? No. Jesus puts himself in the story. He says this. He says the one who's waiting for him, who's trusting in him and and living for him, he will come, dress himself for service and recline at table. And have the people recline at table and he will come and serve them, verse 37, in keeping with his glory, in proportion to that coming glory, to be sure. But one who invites those who listen to the banquet, to that glorious banquet, that's the kind of savior we have. He will come in love and mercy, pleading a sacrifice for those who've trusted in him. But when he comes, he will judge unto condemnation those who refuse him and who show by their living for themselves that they are not God's children. Is his justice unjust? Certainly not. The judgment is according to knowledge. It says in verses 47 and 48, the servant who knows what he must do but doesn't do it will receive a severe beating. The one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Yet there is punishment. There is, it is very clear that those who refuse God, make no mistake, there will be an eternal misery for those apart from God. 
Well, that brings up the question, people say, well, what about those who don't hear the word? Are they saved by their ignorance? Is it good to not know so that we can say, well, i blissfully ignorant. I didn't know. William Hendrickson writes this, ignorance is never absolute. Listen to what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1. You know the passage that I'm going to turn to. God's Revelation of himself is there, leaving man without excuse. His invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that man is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's a suppression of the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And those who do so will be judged. No one can say they are innocent of suppressing the truth of God. We do it. We all do it. For this sin we are guilty and for this reason we need a Savior. For this reason we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' teaching on this matter ends by pointing out the call to live in, in light of what we know. We must not be found doing nothing. The passage, especially the end of verse 48 here, makes clear that the talents with which God has endowed men must be used, the time must be redeemed, the opportunities not squandered. No one may live for himself alone. The word is very clear. We live We are to live for others, to live for God. Whatever we do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, however we are working, to do it as unto the Lord, Colossians 3.23. Phil Riken writes this, these parables are some of the weightiest in the Gospels that bring us face to face with our destiny and show us that we all need a Savior. For in fact, who can say he is always ready? Or that he's made the best use of what he's been given. Friends, Christianity is not a religion for faithful servants, but for unfaithful servants. We're reminded that we have a Savior who rescues us from ourselves. Who delivers us from the sin that we deserve as he takes our punishment upon himself. And we receive and are reckoned his righteous acts. That the Father might say, you are my people. Now go and declare the wonders, the majesty of the one who has called you from darkness into light. That's what it means to live the faithful, the good confession. May God help us to do that. Amen. Father in heaven, as we hear these words in the midst of Jesus' teaching on where our focus should be, so often we are focused in the wrong place and we see ourselves there. Building bigger barns, as we've heard a few weeks ago, seeking our security and material things, loving the world. Jesus says, no, seek first the kingdom. God will provide all that. My father will provide. Your father will provide all that you need. Be ready for my return. Live joyfully and willingly. Always ready. The light of 
the word of God shining with sleeves rolled up in service. Lord, may that be our good confession. Speaking of your grace and your mercy, that in your grace and mercy you've called us and by the power of your Holy Spirit you equip us for these works which you have prepared in advance for us to do. As we have received much, may we do much for your name's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 388, another song which looks to Christ's coming and to be ready. Rejoice, rejoice, believers, and let your lights appear. The evening is advancing and darker night is near. The bridegroom is arising and soon he will draw nigh. Up, watch in expectation. At midnight comes the cry. Reference to other passages in Scripture which speak of the coming of Christ. Let's stand to sing those four stanzas, number 388.
Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for that wonderful promise, for the light that you give in your word. We thank you for the work of the Gideons, and as we take an offering for them this morning, we pray that your word, as it is placed in many places, would have a powerful effect upon this land and abroad. For Lord, we know that we, in so many ways, walk in darkness and need the light of life, which is only found in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is spoken of throughout the Scriptures. Lord, lead us to him, to delight in him. Grant much success to this organization, we pray, along with these offerings that we bring. Hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as God sends you forth with his parting blessing. People of God, remember that he is the one who equips you and he is the one who goes with you. Prepare yourselves each day for action. Look to him that he might use you for his service. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.